1: Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa demattis Lapore and Ann Baldwin.
2: And we're back. Welcome again to The Connection. As you just heard in the introduction, I am Anne Baldwin. We've also got the Chief Executive Officer of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapori, here as well. And you're enjoying your summer so far?
0: Summer's going well. The it's we- going
2: fast, isn't
0: it? It's going really fast, but I'm excited because we're finally getting sunshine and some warmer weather, so that's great. Yeah. So, what that tells me is maybe September, October, summer may drag out. Who knows? But right. as long as it's not raining, it's all good.
2: It is. Well, you know what I got to say too, because we had you know some bad bouts with weather, and really this is your background, I just felt like I was in a funk and so was everybody else around me. Isn't it true that when the sun's not out and it's kind of dreary and rainy people just aren't themselves
0: I agree. What so do they
2: call that seasonal depression?
0: Seasonal affective, affective
1: disorder. disorder. Sad.
2: Sad. Sad. Yes. And you're like, who's that man talking? Let's tell you who the man is. The man. The man is Charles Barber. And Charles, uh, I know when you hear those little, you know, initials, you got to just jump in there. So we didn't get a chance to say an official hello, but we'll do that now. You are the director of the Connection Institute for Innovative Practice, and uh, you've been on this program before, and you're back just because you've got so much to talk about. Thank you. That's right. So, uh, Lisa, talk a little bit about from the Connections perspective and what Charles does and how important, increasingly important, it's becoming to measure outcomes. Because with funding issues in the state, I mean, you know, you're a nonprofit. There's so many nonprofits out there that that are struggling and the dollars are getting harder and harder to come by. So how are you kind of combating that or... You know working against the tide at this point
0: well i think that what we're doing um we're looking at really all the strengths that we have at the connection and one of those is really our data and research component and charlie really heads up that department um charlie's brilliant um he's published he's fun to be around also right charlie makes me laugh
2: I'm um, wait
0: a minute he's a fun.
2: research guy that's fun he is. That's like you know, saying a great a, sense an, of humor. an accountant who's fun. It's kind of the same. thing. All right. Thing, well, right? we're
0: not going to talk about accountants, although <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> um, but that's stretching it. But I think that uh, what's unique about our human service agency is that we do have a department that's dedicated to data and research. Most organizations are not. We have strong affiliations, thanks to Charlie, with Wesleyan University, and he is a he also teaches there. What do you teach? I teach writing, writing and yeah. criminal. I
1: just taught some Grant criminal writing justice. Or? No, I teach I teach uh, nonfiction writing because I'm a writer. In addition, that's
2: right. You've got a couple books that we have to talk about, but we'll let Lisa get to her point first. I can't wait to talk about that.
1: And then I just finished a uh, criminal justice um, course courses called Race, Incarceration, and Citizenship at Wesleyan this year. What was it called? It was a series of courses called Race, Incarceration, and Citizenship on criminal justice issues which are extremely popular with students now you know they just from a public health and a public resource perspective uh, people really realize um, the rates of incarceration in the United States now.
2: What major does that fall into? Where do the, most of the all, folks all major? All different in,
1: it... all different majors um, it was cross-listed in oh, was multiple it? departments but at Wesleyan they have something called the Alberton Center uh, for the study of public life in Alberton Had a lot of TV stations in New York, in in, uh, DC, and they sold them and they created the magazine Politico. Um, And so it's, and they're alums, and so they've put together all this public service and public issue awareness stuff uh, at Wesleyan with real resources. And we, the Connection, partnered with them this whole year to teach classes.
0: Wow. How interesting. That is fantastic. So, a lot of the work that, you know, Charlie's also a grant writer, but in addition to that, um, Charlie is really uh, tying back the, the data and the research to the programs that we run, and we're looking at recidivism rates, um, which are extremely low, and, you know, Charlie's very creative in thinking about better ways that we can, you know, bring forth the data that we have and use it. Um, to you know, show to folks in the, in the state of Connecticut, but also I think it's a good checklist for us to say we're really doing a good job, and these are the the um, elements that we're measuring to show that you know um, the clients in uh, Connecticut, the citizens are not you know going back into the system, and so you know I want Charlie to talk a little bit about some of the work that he's done today, but also I'm really proud of Charlie um, because he has written two uh, amazing. Books. I'm going to have you talk about that. And um, he's an amazing writer. Um I think you know when Charlie you know would send me during his period of writing you know paragraphs or chapters of the book to read I was just when is, just get the next chapter done because I was like hey. sitting on the edge of my seat because he's a writer that I think that once you read the first sentence of, a, of his book you're there because you can just visually feel that you're experiencing what he's writing about which I and I'm not just saying that because he's here I don't think I've ever read a book so intensely than that so Charlie Um, Without further ado, tell us a little bit about your two books and, um, you know, what led you to write those books.
1: Uh, Well, the first book is called Songs from the Black Chair. And we talked the last show, Anne, about the importance of lived experience and uh, how the connection is dedicated increasingly to hiring our former clients who were doing well, carefully vetted, you know, had long lengths of experience of sobriety and so on um as staff people and that you know, we talked last time about how that we've we found in our federally funded research that it's led to more positive outcomes uh, in terms of reduced crime and cost savings and so on so the story behind that for me personally is um i grew up in middletown i was a really good student i went to harvard and um And then I had my own experience with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, when I was a young man. And I went from, I had, I actually had symptoms when I was very young, five or six years old, but I just was able to manage and, you know, I was, I did well in high school and all that good stuff. And then I got to Harvard and I had kind of a break with OCD. It sort of, it felt like a, a, a shopping bag that had too much stuff in it. And all the jars fell out. Like it just, you know it just sort of happened and i didn't know this was some time ago there were things like i didn't even know what ocd was actually uh i didn't come from this is before oprah right Mm -hmm. you know yeah before it was popular right right and so i just thought i just my main reaction was like don't tell anybody right right (laughs) so um so i ended up getting some help and doing um i ended up actually dropping out and i worked in a group home for developmentally disabled folks in central connecticut it was actually the perfect therapy for me because two reasons one it got me out of my own head which i was heavily involved in my own head and second the place that i was actually placed at the kids there were my age and they were, so they're 20 and they were all, um, severely developmentally disabled. And they, they could not speak. And, um, it, and they had many, many phys- physiological issues. And so it, it made me realize one that my issues were, uh, s- you know, significant for me, but they weren't their issues. And also for me, a lot of my, um, symptomatology was around verbal things and so being in a quiet environment was like perfect self-therapy so all this to say I wrote a book about this uh, at the same time as this was going on with me my best friend in high school committed suicide from mental health and substance abuse issues so and really, as a result of these experiences, instead of being a professor, which I am now through an indirect route, but which was kind of what I was supposed to do, I ended up working in homeless shelters in New York City for 10 years. And so the book is about my own, the story I just told, and then working in shelters and how I did and did not have um, things in common with my the clients that I worked with. And so... Um, so the story behind the story of our research that we're doing is um I learned before there was really research to show the uh, the importance of lived experience and having having been there and done that although I never actually shared my own personal story with my clients but when I was in supervision clinical supervision with this was in New York City with psychiatrists from Columbia and NYU and you know, very, very rich academic resources and uh, excellent clinical training that I got. But I I could feel that there, I, I knew something from our client's perspective that the pure professionals did not know. Mm-hmm. Not that I had schizophrenia and, you know, in some ways, a lot of my own issues, which are completely resolved um are completely minor compared to you know schizophrenia bipolar disorder homelessness etc cetera, etc cetera. but i had it, it, the way i put it in the book actually is that i'd walked a little bit in there in their forest
2: you know and i think that does add credibility i know when i was in um in rehab and we had these counselors or you know we had these people that were working with us you know i was so new to it one of my first questions was you know have you been there have you been through this are you in recovery and the minute somebody said no to me initially, I just kind of, I pulled back a little bit. I shut down a little bit because I felt like at that point in mm-hmm. my recovery, if you don't know what I'm going through, then you can't help me. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely get that. The name of the book again, and where can people find it?
1: It's called Songs from the Black Chair, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that good stuff. It was, the the, the irony is, it, it you know, when I was going through this, um, people were like, what's wrong with you, right? Because, um, and, uh, and then I wrote about it in the book, got, you know, won awards, got wonderful reviews. So my basic story is I became a success about writing about my failures. So um, wow, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good way to go. You right? know, I got
2: to tell you, that's on my bucket list right. to write a book. And I keep being reminded I could be on my fifth book by now just because you know the things that happen so you know good but it's hard it has to be hard right is it not Charles to put your stuff out there you know when you you really are putting your real demons out there for consumption and here we are trying to you know be normal people you know run businesses have lives have relationships and we wonder is it's going to help us or hurt us what was the impact of writing the book and being so honest about it
1: it definitely requires a intestinal fortitude to do (laughs) and and then other people are involved too because you're you know you're writing even if they're you know obliquely referenced you're writing about other people so it's not just you um but in general the 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 book was extremely well received and I'll i'll give you a very specific example uh I've done work with the department of correction through the connection as a trainer and a consultant. And, um, uh, the book came out and I had a supervisor at the department of correction that I, and I was a little worried about him knowing about all this because I worked with him for years and he read the book. He called me up. He said, I have more respect for you than I did before, you know, and I had a lot of respect for you before is what he was saying. So in general, Lisa, my boss, um, it, I, I think, partially we've come to a place societally that people yeah. understand that this is not a characterological deficit this is um these are uh in many many ways physiological illnesses um and so you know the irony is that it did tremendous things for my career but i was careful in how i presented it to people um the way that it first went public was an article that i wrote in the new york times and so that You know I got contacted from people from 20 years ago um but I have to say 95 percent of the response was positive and the people that are positive you know right
0: so I want to share a quick story so uh when the book came out um you know Charlie had shared some of the chapters from that book with me prior to it you know getting published and so I read the book and um you know I was picturing everything in my head and you know Uh, he talked about Wesleyan and, you know, being in Middletown and, you know, talked about where his uh, best friend that committed suicide was buried. And I knew exactly the um, cemetery that he was talking about in Middletown. And I asked him if we could meet um, at a Dunkin' Donuts and then walk across the street. Would he take me to the cemetery um, to go sit by the grave of his friend? And he did. And um, it just brought me down, just brought me to tears because I felt that I actually knew this this you know this gentleman that he was friends with and you know it was for me it was really int- it was an intense moment and you know it was very private for Charlie and personal but he did take me there and you know I was very moved so I I think the book is great and I hope that folks will you know read it and learn more about this brilliant man that I have on staff here at the connection um, really proud of him and you know grateful to be his colleague and friend and um, you know we have a lot of work to do charlie moving forward and we're doing that but i encourage you and to actually i should have brought a copy of the book today charlie charlie did a really wonderful thing um my my uh, elderly mother's you know going through a tough time right now because my dad died right before Christmas and Charlie had both of his books um sent to my house for my mom to read and she can't put the, she can't put the book down um so I wanted to say thank you for that and she was you know saying oh I can't believe that you have you know this type of talent and you know compassionate man on your staff that you know really does this work and his reading is so beautiful so you know thank you for that charlie so you
2: know and charlie you mentioned um you don't know what people's reaction is going to be whether we've had breast cancer or addiction issues or whatever it might be and in my early recovery you know i got back from rehab and i was sober two months and i was ready to tell everybody hey i'm in recovery you know and it was a peer it was a person who Is in recovery long-term recovery themselves you said hold on a minute step back give it some time because you don't know what people's reaction would be Mm -hmm. you know what was interesting for me as a business owner is that none of my clients knew that i even had an issue Mm -hmm. or that i spent uh you know four weeks in a rehab because my staff was so supportive Um, but when I did come out and tell people I got nothing but support Mm -hmm. I don't know and if I if people said things that weren't appropriate I don't know about it and my business has actually increased because I work with a lot of people in the industry and that are in recovery themselves who are successful business owners and people just like us so you know oftentimes isn't it like you said it was a career changer for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's worth the risk isn't it to kind of tell people that you know this is what I've gone through, and here's how I deal with it, so that we can help other people. If we don't put a face and a voice on it, what good is it?
1: Right. And one of the things that shocked me with the, um, you know, feedback from people was how much they related to the book. So when I was going through it, and you know, when you go through problems, especially as a younger person, you have this feeling of like no one in the world has ever gone through this before, and um, and that's the way I felt. You know, especially because I didn't even know what it was. I really didn't know what it was. What? What do you mean? It? I I, it, I didn't know what OCD was, so I didn't know when I was having these symptoms. I didn't know. I thought there was because
2: just, back then it wasn't. It
1: wasn't. It existed in the American psychiatric um, diagnostic manual, but it was not in the culture. Right. It, it was, you know this, and so, so, and then you know, I the book is very specific about Middletown, about Wesleyan, about you know m- mm-hmm. my story. So, uh, and any good writer knows that the, the, the it comes alive through the details. So if I wrote about very, very specific details. It was a Budweiser we were drinking, not a Heineken, you know, mm-hmm. and, um,
2: that's what they call brand, placement. right? They, oh, yes, yes. I have to, I'll
1: expect to check later, but, um, the almost universal thing was how much people related, not, not that they necessarily had OCD, but I think that, it's a coming of age story. It's some of the issues like substance abuse, which was not my issue, um, but that's absolutely universal and and I wrote about that with my with my friend, you know, about my friend suicide where you know so many of us have known people who commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um and so it so many people said that it was helpful to them.
2: Good.
0: I find that I found the book um helpful. Um, uh, f- for myself, um, because I gained um, a greater appreciation um, not only for the work that we do, but also to have a colleague um, who was able to really, you know, put his story out there for people to understand and read. And many of our staff read the book, um, and you know, it, it it just sort of brings you closer to the fact that, again, and we've talked about this in the program, other programs that we've you know done together that this affects all of us you know all these types of issues and the clients that we see and the folks around us are all like we said in everyone is carrying some type of there's some struggle right and um I think we always need to be mindful of that I think it's really quick to judge and not understand you know that you know be kind to people because they're all you know carrying some type of burden or their own fight of their own and um so I think that having that passion and working in, working in this field is key, and you really you can never really lose that. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Charles Barber. He's a director
2: of the Connection Institute for Innovative Practice, and, of course, we've got our chief executive officer, Lisa DeMattis-Lapori, here as well. So, Charles, you didn't just stop at one, right? I guess like a good author, it's like a, here comes chapter two. So um, what's your second book about, and Are you going to keep going in that direction? But I'll let you answer the first question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, so I wrote a second book um, called Comfortably Numb. And uh, what happened is, as a result of these personal experiences, I ended up almost you know it wasn't the plan uh, working in homeless shelters and with people diagnosed with severe mental illness in New York in the 90s
2: but there was a reason
1: there was a reason right right, right. it wasn't what I yeah it wasn't what I you know life happens to you when you're busy making other plans sort of thing so um and so this was basically the 90s and um the way that i be- the, bu- the book is about the impact of um psychiatric medications on american culture and it begins with a an anecdote where in 1990 i was at a cocktail party with friends of my parents and they were I was talking about my job and they were sort of like, what's wrong with these people that you're working with in these homeless shelters and they must take a lot of crack and that kind of stuff. And then 10 years later, I didn't go to too many cocktail parties with my parents, but I went to one other and about 10 years later and, uh, and everybody thought I, what I was doing was great and they were asking me well what about lithium versus Prozac and they were basically you know either they or their children or they knew somebody who were on all the medications that my clients were on and uh, so that the question of the book is how did it change so quickly how did we go from a characterological based understanding of mental illness to a in some time in some ways very overly simplistic uh, biological based understanding of mental illness um, basically, you know chem- these terms like chemical imbalance uh, started coming out not and 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 there's they're really based on a sort of dumbed down version of the the science. So it's really a sociological book. Um, so for instance, I wrote a lot about the TV advertising, which just popped up, which made them consumer products, made these drugs consumer products like Too Faced. And you see it now, it's probably part of the opioid stuff going on. There's been a whole generation that's grown up with, we're all roughly the same age. I know that we thought of prescription drugs as that's a big deal.
2: That's why they were in a locked medicine cabinet Like you never opened the medicine cabinet. Right. Not today.
1: Right. So kids born since 1987, which is when these ads started. It was a simple rule change by the FCC. um, They subliminally think of these things as like toothpaste or Ford cars. So So the book is partially about the kind of what happened um, at various levels in our attitudes, and then the second part of it is actually very much relates to the Connections work, and my work is the drugs can be fantastic, and that's not part of the the, the argument of the book, the drugs can be fantastic, Mm -hmm. but they, they got kind of oversold, and what also got lost in that was some really good work about engaging clients, cognitive behavioral therapy, the peer work that we've talked about, the um, technique called motivational interviewing where you work with people to enhance their own mo- sense of motivation rather than imposing it. Nobody paid attention to that stuff. And if you look at the, the research, the efficacy of those treatments can be as good or better than the drugs. So it's, it's sort of the thing that we missed by paying all the attention to the Zoloft ads
2: so what section you said uh, these books and again just give us both titles of the books and they're available on amazon and they're at barnes and noble so what section uh do do you go to uh
1: the uh the memoir would be in the autobiography section okay Um, give us the name of the memoir it's songs from the black chair all right and a memoir of mental interiors is and then the um medication book would be in the psychology section and it's called Comfortably Numb, referencing Pink Floyd. And um, it's called How Psychiatry is Medicating a Nation.
2: You know, and it's interesting, Lisa. It's, it's great. I want to get my hands on those books. And um, I appreciate the offer, but I, you know, an author can't can't thrive and survive if you don't go buy their book, right? So That's I'm going right. to go buy their book. Um, but, it, you know, you brought up a really good point of how it's just kind of been neutralized, right? The drugs. You know, I. I As somebody who's worked in television and now works in marketing, you know, it's a 60 second spot. Um, with all the side effects and people fishing and you know ha- holding birthday parties at least they've gotten smarter about running the disclaimer with some interesting video coverage coverage because it kind of tells the story but but i think the internet has also changed thing and and what i would hope has changed is the transparency that people aren't as afraid to share their weaknesses and their issues and get the help that they so desperately need in so many cases and that's where the connection comes into play so that that's fantastic it really is and we want to mention too you can go to theconnectioninc.org all one word theconnectioninc.org you know just educate yourselves right everybody's got an opinion everybody's got a background but you know you need to do kind of your own research don't you if you don't have on-the-job experience like we do, mm-hmm. you and I. Absolutely. I, sh- You know, that's what I say. I say I've got, you know, real-life on-the-job experience. Not proud of that, but I'm grateful for it because it helps me help others too. And that's what you guys, that you all have too. And the peer-to-peer support, we all know it works. Mm-hmm. It works. You can mm-hmm. study it and study it and study it. And people can't argue about, you know, research numbers, right? Mm-hmm. How do you fight that? It is what it is. Mm-hmm.
1: So we've, yeah. we're the connection is working very closely with a, a group at Yale in the psychiatry department that's created a research-proven citizenship intervention for very formally marginalized people, where it's less about, it, it is about their clinical services, but it's also teaching the skills of citizenship. And he defines them as the roles, responsibilities, resources, relationships, and rights of citizenship. And what that really comes down to is a sense of belonging. And... Um, and feeling supported and again we've we're starting to incorporate this intervention at the connection with Yale Um, but the story behind the story for me again is my own recovery had a lot to do with clinical treatment but it also had to do with finding meaning and um, so the book when you actually you know, was it well-received and how was it received? It was certainly well-received, but I guess the most important thing was well-received by me, right? Because it was part of me finding meaning um, and finding my own roles, relationships, resources, rights, et cetera, uh, as someone who had been through things. So um, that's sort of, I think where we're at is we're using, I'm using my own experiences to inform the research that we're doing at The Connection.
2: And what a great way and positive note to end this program. It's really been interesting. And, you know, thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Charles Barber and uh, Lisa, it's always great to see you. Another interesting conversation. And hopefully some useful information out there to our listeners. Um, You know, it's one of those things I always say during this program. You might not need it today, but who knows what tomorrow brings, right? Absolutely. So thank you all for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh um.